Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, I'll read verses 1 through 3. And Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We've been looking in our recent sermons at the heart of Christ for his disciples on earth, even as he is in heaven in glory. And we've seen from several passages in this upper room discourse that the heart of Christ in his love and affection for his disciples remains the same in heaven now in glory as it was on earth We saw in John 13 and verse 1 that John gives us a window into the heart of Christ when Jesus knew that he was to depart back to the Father. John tells us what filled the heart of Christ as he anticipated that coming glory. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And through that window we can view the entire upper room discourse and gain a sight into the heart of Christ as he will be in glory. And this morning we looked here at John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and in especially verse 2 we saw that when he returns to the Father, he assures us that in his Father's house in heaven there are many dwelling places for us. And then he tells us that when he gets there, he will prepare a place for us. Jesus Christ has purchased the right for us to enter his Father's house through his own blood upon the cross. Whatever barriers there were between us and God, they have been removed forever by him. He has entered the holy place as a forerunner. He has laid claim to our right of entrance. He has introduced us to the courts of heaven. In ourselves, we are unworthy But Christ has made us worthy of all the blessings of heaven by his own work on our behalf. We are outcasts from all fellowship with God by reason of our sin like Adam and Eve when they were cast out of the garden. But now by the grace of Christ we have an eternal dwelling place in the Father's house in heaven. We have a birth certificate by a new birth which guarantees our entrance there because we have been born again into the family of God and we belong to the Father and we have an entrance into the Father's house. So as we continue to look at these verses here tonight, the first thing, we have three things we want to see as we look especially now at verse 3. The first thing we see is that is Jesus' preparation for us, his preparation for us. This is his love now as 
His love for us continues in heaven. He prepares this place for us. The wedding feast of the kingdom of God, the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. And we will soon enter into that eternal land in the new heavens and the new earth. There is mystery about these words. Whatever needs to be made ready will be made ready. And whatever preparations must be made, all preparations will be made by our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. He who once prepared dwelling places as an on earth as a carpenter is now preparing eternal dwelling places for us in heaven as our forerunner. This is what he says he is doing here. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. In the Middle East, at the time of Jesus, whenever a large caravan of camels would travel across the desert, they would need a forerunner, and the forerunner would be sent ahead of them to the next city or town to make sure that everything was prepared, that there would be sufficient room for the caravan, enough food, and supplies for the caravan to come, and then the forerunner would return to the caravan and bring the caravan forward. And so it is with Christ as our great forerunner. He has gone into heaven, and there he prepares the place for us, and he will come again to receive us to himself and bring us there. This is what he says here in verse 3. He says, and if I go... If I go in my ascension and return to my Father in heaven and prepare a place for you, which is his great business and work throughout this entire time in glory. He has gone into the distant land to receive a kingdom, and in that kingdom he is now preparing all things for those who are on earth. Many people think it a foolish thing that we as Christians would believe and follow a person whom we have never seen. It is true that we have never seen him with our physical eyes, but we have seen him with our eyes of faith. And we know why we have not seen him with our physical eyes. Because he has told us where he has gone. He has gone to his father's house in heaven, and we know what he is doing there. He is preparing a place for us. What he says here in verse 3 is that he has not ascended into heaven for his own benefit, but for ours. He says, I go and prepare a place, not for me, but for you. I go and prepare a place for you. And so this is his great heart of love that out of that love that Christ has for us, he is on this great errand, and it is all for our eternal happiness and our salvation. Everything in this verse that Christ does, he does for us as his people. If we turn over to John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and we read in verses 13 through 15. Jesus said in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, 
than what that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus here, he calls us his friends. And in verse 13, he speaks of his love that is greater than all others. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down, that one lay down his life for his friends. And we are his friends for whom he was about to lay down his life for our sins that we might have eternal life. In verse 15, he makes a contrast between slaves and friends. A slave does not know what his master is doing because the master does not confide in his slave or share his plans with him. But it is not this way with friends. Friends confide with one another. One friend tells his other friend what he is doing and what his plans are for the future. And Jesus is our friend. And so he tells us, what he is doing. No longer, he says, do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father. I have made known to you all things that are necessary for your good and for your salvation. I have not hidden anything from you. I make known all things to you. And that's what he's doing back in chapter 14 and verse 3. He is speaking to us as his friends, and he is making known all things to us, his plans for himself and for us, and what he will be doing once he returns into glory. If I go, he says, I will prepare a place for you. We may imagine we have a friend who has gone to a distant place. When he is there, we do not know what he is doing because he has not told us what he is doing. He has given us no word of what he is doing in that distant place. And it could have been this way with Jesus, but we are his friends. And so he tells us all things that he will be, will be doing. He regards us as such close and dear friends And he has such love and affection for us. He desires that we would know what he is doing when he is there. I go and prepare a place for you. And so, we might even hear Jesus speak to us from his throne in heaven. The same things he says in the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And so I have gone to my Father in heaven that all of my plans may be prepared for you. Jeremiah 32 and verse 40, Jesus would say to us, I must go away now for I am making an everlasting covenant with you that I will not turn away from to do you good. 
and I will rejoice over you to do you good, and I will faithfully plant you in this land with all my heart and with all my soul, and so I must go, I must go and prepare this new land with all my heart and with all my soul. So we see here again, Jesus prepares a place for us. But then the second thing we see in this verse is Jesus is coming again for us. We might ask the question here, well, what will he do when all of his business of preparation is done and all things are made ready? What will he then do? And the answer is given to us in the rest of verse 3. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He speaks here of his second coming. When all of God's elect have been called through the gospel, the work of his kingdom is finished, all things have been made ready, every dwelling place for every saint is prepared, and then Christ will descend back to this world And he will raise all believers in a resurrection to eternal life. And then he will receive us to himself. I will come again, he says, and I will receive you to myself. There must be a second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In which he will come and receive us to himself himself because what profit would there be to all of his humiliation and suffering in his first coming unless he was to come again and receive to himself all those for whom he purchased with his own blood and what profit would there be for him now having ascended into heaven and spent the entire time in glory, in his intercession, preparing all things, as he says, unless he comes again to receive those for whom he has made those preparations. There must be this second coming of Christ in which he brings all of his work to its ultimate and to its final fulfillment. The glory of his work would be lost if he were not to come again and receive us to himself. He is now in the glory of heaven tonight. But when his second coming comes, When the time arrives, he will descend out of heaven. It will be a descent again. He will leave that glory and he will descend to this earth for a second time. He says, I go, I ascend to my father. I will come again. I will descend back to this world. This is the way Paul spoke of the second coming of Christ as a descent out of heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He will descend out of that glory of heaven to this earth again that he might receive us to himself. 
And here we have all of these works of Jesus that show his great love for us, that he will do all things for our salvation. He came in his first coming in humiliation and suffering. I have come down from heaven, he said, to purchase our salvation by his own blood. Now he returns back into heaven to prepare all things for us. And he will come again from heaven in great glory and power to complete our salvation. He accomplishes all things for us. He comes down from heaven to the cross. He ascends back to heaven for the intercession And then he comes again in the second coming to receive us to himself. There is nothing that he will not do for our salvation and our happiness. He could have sent another to receive us so that he could remain in glory and have us brought up to him. But no, he will not do that. He says, I will come. This is what I will do. I will come down from heaven. And I will receive you. I will welcome you. And I will receive you to myself in this most personal way. I will come and receive you to myself. He would rather descend again from heaven that he might receive us to himself in this way. He speaks here after the custom of bridegrooms at that time. The bridegroom would make sure that all things were prepared for his bride. Then when the wedding day came, the bridegroom himself would go And receive his bride to himself. His love for her was such that he would never send another. He would come himself for her. And so it is with Jesus. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And he has such love for us. He will not send another to receive us. He will come himself and receive us to himself. And when that day of his second coming arrives, it will be the day of the glorification of his church, as he says in Ephesians chapter 5, that he will present to himself the church in all of her glory, without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be made holy and blameless before him. When that day comes, there will be great works of divine power that Jesus will have to perform. He will descend on clouds of glory that his voice, the resurrection of all men will take place. Every eye will see him. It will be the day of judgment. He will sit on his throne as the glorious judge of all men. 
present world will be destroyed, as Peter says, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens pass away with a roar, and the earth and all of its works will be burned up, and it will be on that day the beginning of eternity, in heaven, in hell, forever. And it will be the regeneration of all things. Jesus will make all things new in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There will be many mighty and glorious works that Jesus will do on that day when he returns. But the most wonderful and the most joyful work of all will be the one that he mentions here above all others that he will come on that day and he will receive to himself his bride, his church, and all things will be prepared for her. This is what the second coming is really all about, that he will receive us to himself. We will see him like he is, and we will be like him on that day. The New Testament often views the second coming of Christ as imminent, meaning that it, will, it could happen at any time. And Jesus speaks of this time between his ascension back into heaven and his second coming. He speaks of it as a little while. We see this in chapter 16 and verse 16. John 16 and verse 16. Jesus says, And a little while, and you will, see, you will no longer behold me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. He speaks here in the same way of the same things as back in our verse in John 14 and verse 3. We have two little whiles in the verse. The first little while is when he goes back to his father, they will no longer see him. And then the second little while is when he is in heaven and comes again, then they will see him. So we could read verse 16 in this way. A little while I go to the father and you will no longer behold me. And again, a little while I will come again and you will see me. So the entire period between the ascension of Christ and his second coming is to Jesus a little while. From our perspective, in time, it is a long period of time. But to him, because of his great love, it is only a little while. It is like when Jacob had to serve Laban for seven years, to have his daughter Rachel as his wife. Genesis 29, 20 says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. And so it is with Jesus. It is but a little while for him because of his love. For us, back in John chapter 14 and verse 3, he will not delay a single moment longer than is needed. He will not stay in heaven any longer 
than his business of preparation requires him. So we see here in the second place, Jesus will come again for us. The third thing we see in this verse is Jesus' desire for us. His earnest desire for us to be with him. The first part of the verse, Jesus tells us where he is going and what he will be doing when he is there. He says, I go to my father's throne and and when I am there, this is what I will do. I will prepare a place for you. And then in the rest of the verse, he tells us what his heart will be set upon that entire time that he is there. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He is saying here, this is what my soul will be fixed upon when I am there. This is what my anticipation will be and what I am continually looking forward to with great expectation, even when I am exalted into heaven, into glory. This is the window into the heart of Christ and his love for us in heaven. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he continues to love us now from his glorious throne in heaven. This most intense desire that he has for this great day that is to come when all of his saints will be gathered with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb and the beginning of heaven. Does not the bridegroom look forward to his wedding day to be with his bride? And so Christ looks forward to his great day when he will be forever united with his bride. I must go, he says. I must prepare a place for you. But then I must come again and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. You will be with me forever. Paul desired to be with Christ. He said to the Philippians, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul desired to be with Christ. But this is Christ's desire to be with us. That where I am, he says, you may be also. We are told many times in the New Testament to wait, to look eagerly for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we told to look eagerly? And wait expectantly for his coming. Surely because he himself waits eagerly. And looks expectantly for that great day. Why are we commanded to always be ready for his appearing? Because he himself is ready at any time. For his return to us in this world. John must have wondered When he first heard these words, at the end of verse 3, what do they really mean? There, that where I am, he says, there you may be also. He must have wondered, what does it mean to be where Christ is and to be in his presence? 
And John received the answer to that question in his vision in the book of Revelation when he saw the great multitude, their robes were made white in the blood of the Lamb before the throne of God in heaven and they served him day and night and they shall hunger no more nor thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what it means to be where I am, that you may be with me also. In the presence of the glorified Jesus, The same Jesus that John saw in Revelation chapter 1. Where his hair was white like snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze which was caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice like the sound of many waters. His face shining like the sun in its strength. That's what it meant to be where I am that you may be with me also. Unimaginable to us in this present world in which we live, what it will be like. We see him now only dimly as through a mirror in the scriptures. Then we shall see him face to face. We know him now only in part. Then we shall know him fully. We know him now only by faith. Then we shall know him by sight. Our fellowship with him now is only intermittent and through dark clouds. But then our fellowship with him will be continuous and forever in all the light and glory of heaven. Paul said to the Thessalonians, That when Christ ascends from heaven, then we shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, with him where he is in his presence. Comfort one another with these words. Thomas Goodwin wrote on this verse, he said, It is as if Christ had said, The truth is, I cannot live without you. I shall never be quiet till I have you where I am, so that we may never part again. Heaven shall not hold me nor my Father's company if I have not you with me. My heart is so set upon you, and if I have any glory, you shall have part of it. So we've looked at these three verses here in the beginning of John chapter 14 today. And we close with some thoughts, a couple of lessons that we can learn. We ask a question. What will we do when deep distress comes upon us in this present life? When everything seems to be coming apart at the seams. Persecution, loss, perhaps some overwhelming tragedy, great disappointments, 
calamities and wars, and all our hopes are dashed, and our entire sense of security and stability seems to collapse all around us. When such times come, what will sustain us? And what will hold us up and give us hope and comfort in such great troubles when they come? The answer is found here in the words of our Lord Jesus. We need to understand more of the scene in which these disciples were in this upper room on this night. They had been with Jesus for more than three years. They had left family. They had given up all things to follow him. Some were fishermen, Matthew a tax gatherer. Whatever they had been, they had left their livelihoods and they had put all their hope and confidence for the future in Jesus the Lord. When Peter said, behold, we have lost, we have left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? He was not exaggerating. They had left everything to follow him, and they thought there would be something for them in the end. And that's why Peter asked, what then will there be for us? And that was not just a selfish and a worldly desire. It was a very reasonable and a rational desire because no man leaves everything for nothing. And Jesus does not even expect men to do so. He said to the rich young ruler, sell your possessions and then in exchange for what you have lost, I give you treasures in heaven. They thought Jesus would soon establish an earthly kingdom and sit upon a throne in Jerusalem and conquer the enemies of Israel and restore the glory of the nation. They were like the two men on the road to Emmaus. We were hoping that it was Jesus who was going to redeem Israel and bring in this glorious kingdom. But on this night, Jesus told them things that were most troubling and disturbing to them. That he was soon to depart from them. And they could see him and be with him no more. And they would see things. These disciples would see things on this night. That would shake their souls down to the core as if the whole world was coming apart around them. Jesus had just told them that one of them would betray him. And Judas had left quickly from the supper. And when they saw Judas leave so quickly, they began to sense, though they could not understand, that something was desperately wrong. He would tell them in the rest of this discourse what would happen to them in the future. That the world would hate them and they would be persecuted. They would be cast out of synagogues and men would kill them thinking they were serving God. And it came to pass that all of these 11 disciples became martyrs for Christ. When this supper was over, some of them 
would go with Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane and they would see things there that they never thought they would ever see. Jesus in such an agony upon the ground in prayer. They had seen his mighty miracles and the great power that came from him. But now they see him lying prostrate in a bloody sweat upon the ground. Something has gone terribly wrong on this night. Then Jesus was arrested, taken away and condemned to death by the Sanhedrin. And three times Peter would deny that he knew him, even with cursing and frightened by the voice of a servant girl. They had always looked up to Peter as a leader. And they saw him as a man of great strength, but they must have thought if Peter now falls, what will happen to the rest of us? And then that night Jesus was beaten and scourged and sentenced to death by crucifixion by Pilate. And when they saw him hanging upon the cross, they all abandoned him and scattered to their own homes. Things happened this night that these disciples thought they would never see. And things that shook their souls and their world seemed to be collapsing. They were confused. They were bewildered. They were filled with fear and anxiety. They did not know what to think of all these things, and they could make no sense out of it. Blow upon blow came upon them, and one devastating event after another. And where now could they find any comfort and any hope for the future? What could sustain them? What could hold up their hearts in the midst of all of this? Jesus knew all of this was coming. That's why he spoke these words in these verses. And the remedy is found there in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It is not a helpful suggestion that Jesus gives here. It is not a piece of positive thinking. It is really a command. Let not your heart be troubled. A command from Christ. And it is based on the truth of who God is and who his beloved son Jesus is. He says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, believe in God. Who are we to believe in? We are to believe in God. The God of the Bible the God of absolute sovereignty over all things, the God who is always wise in everything that he does, loving, powerful, always with good purpose in everything that he does. Though we may not see it now, we will see it later. A God of great mercy, a God the God of the Old Testament who has proven himself to always be faithful to his people even in the most desperate situations and there he never leaves them or forsakes them. Remember Abraham and Sarah and the promise of a son that seemed to have failed 
Remember the sons of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt and pinned down at the Red Sea. Remember Jerusalem burned to the ground and the people taken captive into Babylon. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Many times throughout the history of God's people when they were in the most desperate situations and everything seemed to be despair, yet this God was able to come and help them and deliver them. He is a God who knows how to give strength to his people. He is the God of deliverance in every kind of trial. He has supernatural powers. He will never leave or forsake his people in this world. This is the God that we are told here to believe in. Believe in God. Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God. And he says, and also believe in me. Believe in all that you have seen from me. You have seen my glory. You have seen my love. My grace, my power demonstrated. Especially believe in me for your salvation. That I go now to give my life a ransom for yours. The payment of your sins. The Lamb of God who has come from heaven to take away the sin of the world. Believe in me and everything that I am doing for you. Believe in me when you see me raised from the dead. Believe in me when you see me ascend back into heaven. Believe me when I say all of these things to you. I will prepare a place for you. I will come again to receive you to myself. Believe in me as the Savior This is what will give you strength and this is what will give you courage when these things happen to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he gives them this one further consolation of their hope that is certain for the future. He tells them of his father's house where he will be going and they will have an entrance there. So what Jesus is saying to them here is that whatever troubles come upon you in this life and whatever calamities may come upon my people, when everything seems to be collapsing, remember this. Let not your heart be troubled because there is a life to come. And look to that life. If you lose everything here, there is a world to come that is certain. And you may and you will lose everything that you have here, but you cannot lose anything that I have for you there. Let not your heart be troubled by anything that happens. Believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places for you. And I am going there to receive, to prepare the place, and I will come again to receive you to myself. This is the great hope of the Christian. The the matters of our eternal souls have been dealt with and are finished by our Lord Jesus Christ. The worst that can happen to us in this world 
can only bring us into the unimaginable glory of heaven and to the joy and comfort of what lies ahead. You are in my hands, Jesus said, and you are in my Father's hands, and no one can snatch you out of my hands. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. So we close with a word to any who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says at the end of verse 1, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. There is a general kind of natural belief in a divine being which is called God. And there are many people in this world who will say, I believe in God. But such a belief will not bring them to heaven. Because they must believe in Jesus, his son, as well for their salvation. Believe in God and believe also in me. Because he says down in verse 6, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so Christ is the only way of salvation, the only way of forgiveness, and the only way back into the Father's house. If you are not a believer tonight, you need a place, a dwelling place in the Father's house. What will you do when you die and you have no dwelling place in heaven in the Father's house? You will be homeless. You will be lost. And you will be cast out into outer darkness for all eternity. Because the only place where there is happiness, joy, comfort, and peace in the eternal world is in the Father's house. And you are invited to the Father's house tonight. And may you not just hear about the Father's house, but may you come to Jesus that you may find the way into the Father's house and that your soul may be safe for all eternity. The great issues of your eternal soul are at stake in this matter. That you need the forgiveness of all of your sins and you need his blood to wash you. And he is the only way. And if you come, he will promise you an eternal dwelling place in the Father's house. May God help you. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And such glorious things are spoken to us that are even beyond our comprehension and our understanding. And yet we thank you that we know that they are true because they have come from you. Thank you that you are the truth and you always speak the truth to us. 
Lord, bless your word to us now. For all of us who are your people, we pray that you would encourage us and strengthen our faith and give us joy to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us and give us strength to do his will. And for those who do not know you, may they come and find Jesus Christ to be the Savior this night. Hear us now and bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.